Father, as long as there's, there's breath, there's praise. As long as there's breath, there's the opportunity for redemption. Lord, we have life. You have given us life. For those of us who have trusted your Son, Jesus Christ, that, that life is a life that will be lived in shalom, in your presence. It does not mean that we will not face tribulation. We will. But with breath comes the opportunity to give you the glory do your name. And Father, as we're before you today, we pray that our breath would do exactly that. Give you the praise and the honor and the glory do your name. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. So from June of uh, 2011 until June of 2014, I was the, the wing chaplain at Aviano Air Base. Lots of, of stuff happened during that assignment. During 2011, we were part of Operation Unified Protector. You may not know anything about that, but you'll recall the operations that we had in uh, Libya that culminated when Muammar Gaddafi was killed. We also had the Benghazi attack on 9-11 in 2012. Our F-16s were ready and able, uh, but they were ordered to stand down. Other things happened, but the one that is most relevant for today's message has to do with Article 133 of the Uniform Code of Military Justice, an event which caused trouble all the way to the Pentagon and even caused considerable discussion in the Congress. Now, the, the Uniform Code of Military Justice is federal law. It's been enacted by uh, Congress, and it applies to all Active duty members are those who are um, placed on active duty even for short periods of time. This is what it says. It says, any commissioned officer, cadet, or midshipman who is acting in an official capacity for the United States military and who compromises his or her character in a dishonorable fashion, therefore also dishonors the United States. And as a result, that service member may face charges under the conduct unbecoming an officer and gentleman. Now, conduct unbecoming is a serious charge, and the punishment is severe. The man in this case who was accused uh, found himself under three counts uh, under the rubric of conduct unbecoming. And the sentence forfeiture of all pay, he went to prison and he was dishonorably discharged. As the wing chaplain, I aided a number of the people who were involved 
in that case. And, and even though that event happened nearly a decade ago, I assure you that it occupies some people's daily thoughts. My point is not to bring attention to that case, but rather the seriousness with which the military takes Article 133, Conduct Unbecoming. Specifically, it states that conduct unbecoming is if you performed or failed to perform an act which under the circumstance at the time showed you to be dishonest, indecent, lawless, cruel, or lacking in certain moral principles. To, to put this in a biblical context, conduct unbecoming is, in my mind at least, a failure to walk worthy of our calling. The Apostle Paul used the phrase in Ephesians 1 and Colossians 10 where he says, walk in a manner worthy, worthy of your calling. This word walk, peripateo in the New Testament, it often refers to not simply walking, it did, but it also referred to our daily conduct, how we lived our lives out each day. Ephesians 10, 2.10 says, God has ordained that his children should walk in good works. The metaphor here takes on the, the entirety of our lives. It's not just our religious life that is in view. It's our life at work, at play, our hobbies with our family with our neighbors, it doesn't matter. It's, it's the totality of it. In Colossians 1, 10 through 12, Paul encouraged the believers in the same way, and he said this, Walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthening with all might, according to His glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now the interesting thing for us today is that this phrase, to walk worthy, uh, walk in a manner worthy of God, is found in our text uh, today. But before we get to that text, and we, we will, the, the, that phrase brings up a couple, well, several really important notions. First is that given that we are citizens of the kingdom of God, we have to saturate, our lives have to be permeated with every, and everything that we do and say with the word of God and through his spirit. See, it's more than a, it's more than a philosophical opinion. It's, it's more than an intellectual pastime. It's more than simply a place to go and find comfort. Now, every area, every area of who we are and what we do must be subject to Him. Second, the little sobering, is we have to realize that we cannot be worthy of the calling. In this sense, there is nothing that we can do to gain merit or favor with God or earn his love in any way. So in that sense, our walking worthy is not in order to gain, but because we have 
gained. It's not in order to get something. It's because he has already given us something. It is a response to his love, not a cry for his love. And this, uh, what Paul did in exhorting believers to walk in this way, to live in this way, is very similar to conduct unbecoming. Why? Because conduct unbecoming reflects poorly on the military. Conduct unbecoming in the Christian life, that is a failure to walk in a manner which is worthy of your calling, reflects poorly on Christ. It's been said, you may be the only Bible that someone reads today. Therefore, we, there has to be a level of fidelity and integrity to live uh, with Christ. The third thing, before we get to the text, is that even the very Greek word itself, worthy, has the idea of becometh. Now, I know that's an archaic word. That is uh, meaning a very old-fashioned word. But it's exactly the same notion here. It, in, that we find in Article 133. It's what becometh you as a believer in Jesus Christ. That is the notion of uh, worthy, at least in this Greek word. Essentially, it's the opposite of unbecoming. Put simply, our actions match our words, and our words flow from our biblical convictions. I'm absolutely convinced that uh, left without the Word of God, there's nothing to hold on to. We have the Word of God, we have the Spirit of God, we have our faith in Christ. That is all that anchors us in any serious way. So in, uh, in 1 Thessalonians 2, if you have your Bibles, please open there. 1 Thessalonians 2, chapters, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. We're going to see that the Apostle Paul, he uses a couple of analogies to describe his walk. And, and that's we model after him in so many ways. We look at how he did it, and this is what we're to do. The first way that he did this in verses 1 through 6 was as a, as a faithful steward. And the second way was as loving uh, parents, and that's 7 uh, through 12. So let's look at it in a little more detail. Paul's overall goal is that we will walk in a manner worthy of God. And that's found at the end of the text, but nevertheless, it drives all these verses. And in some ways, it's the same kind of thing as the Westminster Confession succinctly states, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. This is the purpose of life. This is the lifestyle to embrace. Glorifying God in all that we do is what it means to walk worthy. Uh, So let's see how Paul talks about this and see how Paul did it with the Thessalonians, verses 1 and 2. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So first, Paul reminds them 
uh, as a faithful steward, he and Silas were mistreated in Philippi. In fact, uh, the word uh, means shamefully mistreated. So in Acts 16, you're familiar with the story, they were seized, they were dragged into the marketplace, they were attacked, they were beaten with rods, and then they were thrown into prison. And that was all done before the rulers of that city, even though they had been shamefully mistreated in this way, they still had boldness to declare the gospel to the Thessalonians. And so we we do need to pause here for just a second, because I don't think we realize the significance of this without some cultural context. This notion of being shamefully mistreated literally means to abuse publicly for the purpose of humiliation. And that's what it means. In other words, this happened to them publicly so that they would be humiliated. But it is important for us to to note that it didn't deter them. They said we had the courage, the, the boldness to speak, to speak freely, to speak openly and fearlessly. So the point of verse 2, as it relates to the Thessalonians, is very clear. If you could sing hymns to God in prison after being vilely treated for preaching the gospel and still not discouraged and going on to continue to preach the gospel, then you're not a phony, which would have been the charge. Now here's the point, the cultural point that I wanted to make. Paul did not have to be beaten. Period, full stop, end of sentence. In Rome, and I get that we don't get this, America from the beginning have had some notions of the house is not simply the home, but it's one's castle. In other words, uh, you know, everyone is a royal in, in essence. Uh, we name our dogs king. We've pushed away any notion of being underneath anybody. And that remains with us. It, it's, it's more a vestige now, but it's still, it's still present with us, so we don't understand what's happening here. If you are a Roman citizen, you could not be touched. I don't mean slapped or pushed or beaten. You could not be touched without permission. Not only could you not be touched, you could not be beaten. You could not be humiliated in any way to do such a thing. And certainly you couldn't be put in prison. To do such a thing would jeopardize the life and the welfare of the person doing it. In order to stop all of this, all Paul had to do was say, I am a Roman, and it would have stopped. You don't think so? Read the story again. When the magistrates found out that Paul was a Roman, they freaked out. They, they literally, they were like the jailer. The jail, what did the jailer do? He drew his sword to do what? To kill himself. Why? Because the prisoners had escaped. Paul and Silas said, no, don't do this. We're all, we're all here. And so then the magistrates said, okay, maybe we can buy them off. 
Let's see what we can do here. And Paul said, no, 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 no. That's not the way this is going to work. The way this is going to work is you did this thing publicly, you're going to take care of it publicly. This was a mess, which we don't understand because there's no one who walks among us that we wouldn't dare not touch, you know, or something like that. No one is like that. Well, it was in if you were a Roman citizen, particularly if you were out in the colonies. Now, why did Paul do that? Uh, Really, I I think it was probably to take the spotlight off the believers there in Philippi. If he took the brunt of this, then others might be be saved from it. Paul was a, a faithful steward in that he suffered for the sake of the gospel. And he embodied what he was telling the Thessalonians, what walking in a manner worthy of God look like. Because not only was he mistreated, but it didn't stop him, and mistreated and it didn't have to happen, he did it, I believe, for the sake of others, and also for the sake of the gospel. But he also came to them in, in, in purity. Look at uh, 3 through 6. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity, or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. So what he's saying is that even though I had certain rights that I could have exercised, I did none of that because I wanted to be, as we'll see in a few moments, among you, among you, not over you, but among you. Paul says he didn't speak from error or um, impurity or attempting to see his words, he didn't use flattery, and, and he certainly didn't come with, uh, for greed. There was nothing fake about Paul and, and Silas. They didn't pretend in order to be friends to get something out of them. I mean, the point that Paul made to them is the same point that Paul makes to us, and that is walking worthy of God means to have these kinds of motivations. These kinds of motivations should characterize us as believers. And that's what Paul displays. So he he then switches from uh, this notion of being a a faithful steward to being faithful parents in showing that walking in a, a manner worthy of God shows love, love for others. He says, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day 
and that, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. I mean, listen what Paul says about himself, how he came to them. He says, uh, like a nursing mother taking care of her own uh, children. Now that image is striking in and of itself. For the Apostle Paul to use it is even more so. The nurture and care that one has for an infant is, uh, is, is a very gentle, compassionate kind of care. I mean, seriously, you even have to, you know, when you're holding a little infant, you have to know where their head is at just to, to keep them uh, safe. And, and Paul genuinely cared about believers. And, and being a Christian is about having relationships with each other, with one another, caring for one another. Here's the amazing thing, or one of the amazing things about this for me. Paul was in Thessalonica for three weeks. Three, three weeks. That's a, in, within three weeks, he had developed this kind of a relationship where he was sharing his life with these people, and they with him, like a nursing mother cares for the children. I mean, he didn't seek anything from them. He sought to give to them. He wanted to give them the care that they needed. I mean, no other, really, no other attitude. When you think of Philippians chapter 2 and you think of what Jesus Christ did in terms of becoming a man and coming to this earth in that kind of humility... He emptied himself. What else uh, should these apostles do? Some of the words that are used here are helpful to us. Gentle. Uh, this is the kind of kindness. I mean, this is a word that's used often uh, for uh, children. And, and it's, a, it, it's a fitting word there. In fact, he uses the word uh, children. And then I love he uses the word among you. And the the notion there is he wasn't trying to be, oh, I'm an apostle. He was an apostle. But, you know, it's one of those things where, like in the military, if you have to use your rank, you've already lost the discussion. Uh, once you appeal to hierarchy, authority, and power that you have over somebody else, the argument is actually lost, and you're the one that, that lost it. He never did that. Yes, he was an apostle, but yes, he was also uh, among them. You know, and, and I, this, this imagery that he used, like a, a mother to them, I love it. Recently in our uh, Breaking of Bread, uh, Roy talked about Christ's love pictured as a, as a hen covering her, her chicks. And, I mean, in, in particular, we see this in, uh, with Jesus talking about uh, Jerusalem. Now, you have to understand, how many of you spend any time on a farm growing up i mean a farm pigs chickens cows there's a there's a few there's a few hands here's the thing in our world today uh the hen has been degraded to an egg machine 
are, are worse, you know, uh, bits or little pieces at, uh, you know, KFC or something. We know nothing about chickens. Unless you lived on a farm, you don't know anything about chickens other than eggs and, and food. It, yet, in previous generations, in fact, probably uh, up to the last 150 years, a hen was seen as the image of motherhood. It, it absolutely, uh, absolutely was, and courage, and defied all odds. In the first century, Plutarch, some of you may have heard of him, the Roman historian said this, Though they flee from dogs and snakes, if they're frightened only for themselves, if their fright is for their children, they stand their ground and fight beyond their own strength. I just, I, I love that. It, it, there's something else you may not have known about this either with chickens. Who who knew? Hens, right? I should have brought the, I was going to bring from Italy a, a chicken thing. It's a big deal in France and Italy and places like that. But in the Jesus day, uh, in actually well before his day, but during his time as well, there was the Polarius. Now you've heard of poultry which, of course, is a reference to, right, chickens. Did you know that hens, hens determined Roman history? Do you know that? It's true. And not in a little way. Hens were, in fact, the Roman decision makers. Hens were used to know when to plant, uh, when to harvest, when to build, when to go to war, when not to go to war. And while it may seem silly to us, it's a matter of life and death to them. You've probably never heard of the sacred hens, but uh, they were national treasures. No major decisions uh, were made without consulting the sacred hens. In fact, during the Punic Wars, some of you may... Uh, remember something about Rome and Carthage, and they had a little beef about Sicily, and it was, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe Marianne knows a little bit about that. They were in a full-scale war, and and yet the armies were were landlocked, and the the battles had begun to shift to the sea. Hundreds of ships had already been lost, and Claudius, the naval commander. He wanted to go attack the Carthaginians there in a bay that they had taken in, in Sicily. So he ordered the sacred chickens to appear before him. And so the Polarius, that is the keeper of the chickens, spread the food before them. And they said, I'm on the deck of a ship. <laughs> you know, I guess chickens can get seasick too. And so they didn't eat. And apparently that was the, the symbol. And so Claudius said, enough of that. You could tell he wasn't a real believer. Uh, if they won't eat, let them drink. And so he threw them over the side. And they said, off to war we go. Well, they did. And the next morning they sailed headlong into a Carthaginian fleet. And all the ships, save the one that he was on, because, of course, it was the fastest, got away. 20,000 men in all the ships 20,000, and all the ships were sunk. And upon his return to Rome, Claudius was put on trial for killing the 
the sacred chickens. Now, here's the thing, and I wish I had time really to go into this. I don't, but I'm going to make a statement about it later. I'll talk about it uh, more. The Romans had ruled Jerusalem for a hundred years by the time Christ was making any statements. But when you understand that it's inconceivable that they did not know because they had seen, they had witnessed, they knew what the Polarius was, they knew how Rome made decisions. When you look at this statement of Jesus, it becomes very intriguing about how he would have gathered his chicks under his wings, but you, they would not. He's saying there's no need for a priest to read this behavior as king I will make and I will keep you safe if you would but come to me. The knowledge of God that we have should transform us. It should transform us in such ways that we understand that when Paul talks about a mother's love, He's not only talking about protection, he is also talking about uh, comfort. He wants to change us from the inside out, that inner person, and make us into the reality that we should live out in our lives. So finally, after Paul spoke of how to live life uh, with boldness and the, the, the message, and he revealed his Love as a mother, he, he writes, for you know how like a father, so now these parents, right? Mother, now father. With his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. As a father, Paul did three things. He exhorted, he encouraged, and he charged. And all of that clearly leads to this one statement, so that you might walk worthy of, of God. And then that's followed by another phrase, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This word calls is in the present tense. In other words, God didn't simply call you in the past. He is continuing to call you every single day into his kingdom and glory it's more than a concept it's our reality one of the central themes of the bible is the kingdom of god i mean and this is it's a it's a glorious thought but it also reminds us of this there are other kingdoms there are other kinds of glory that are competing for our allegiance and for our spiritual children and so we have to be careful, like the mother hen, we have to be careful to protect and to bring comfort to those under our care. Some estimates, and this is just one area, so I don't have time to develop, but I do want to point out this one area. Some estimate that as many as 75% of our Christian teens who go off to college filled with faith, come back home with none or a diminished faith. We need to protect. We need to give 
influence to help fight against these other kingdoms that they're bombarded with without almost exclusively without a dissenting voice. We need to begin to think of ourselves in many ways as pediatricians, I guess, for lack of a better word. Even if we're fully grown and developed, we all need care. We all need compassion. We all need exhortation. We all need encouragement. We all need to be charged over and over to remember to walk worthy of Christ. Now, one, one final word as, as I end. I opened with Article 133. Please do not infer that in any way I mean by that that we will ever face such a charge before the Lord. We will not. Our sin, I love the words of the song, not in part, but the whole. They're nailed to the cross. We bear them no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. Trust in Christ, in Him as believers we can take refuge for our souls. Father, we, we're amazed at the life of the Apostle Paul, how that he ultimately he gave his life for the sake of the gospel. Temporally, he gave his body for the sake of the gospel to protect young believers, he took the full brunt of so much pain. He offers himself as an example for us to follow. He gives us words that we must heed to be able to know what it is to live a life of integrity, a a life of love and compassion, also a life where we encourage one another with your word, all for the goal of walking worthy of our calling, which you call us to right now at this very moment. And we pray that this would be something that would be representative of each one of us even in ways that we can comprehend today. We thank you and praise you through Christ our Lord. Amen.